All right, welcome back to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis along with Drew Lerner. We're going to be talking about all the events that have happened over the past week in sports media. And we'll start with the Women's World Cup and the ratings for the final and the tournament as a whole. But first, if you have not already, please remember to subscribe to the Sports Media Watch podcast feed. You can find episodes from all the previous weeks with Drew and I going back to our debut in this iteration of the podcast back in February. And let's go ahead and start with the Women's World Cup, Spain defeating England on Sunday. And uh, this was the first Women's World Cup final without the United States in it since 2007. It was also the first early morning Women's World Cup final since 2007. And not surprisingly, it was the least watched Women's World Cup final since 2007. Uh, 1.8 million viewers on Fox if you take off the pregame. If you include the pregame, as Fox does for Nielsen purposes, about 1.7 million. Uh, obviously, nothing close to the 2019 number, which was 14 million with the pre-match included and 16 million or going on 16 million without it. Uh, a massive, massive decline. But viewership did increase in the previous Women's World Cup final to not involve the U.S. back in 07, which again was an early morning match. Now, that was on ESPN2 as compared to over-the-air Fox, but still a, a lot more in common between this year's final and the 2007 final than between this year's final and the 2019 final. All in all, the kind of numbers one would expect, given a Women's World Cup that just was never going to be great because of those time slots and really, really took a hit when the U.S. bowed out so early. Drew, I'll bring you in. Yeah, no surprises here, John. Um, with the U.S. going out so early, uh, it was kind of expected that interest would tail off. My my personal curiosity is what the number would have been with a U.S. final with that early morning time slot. Um, I, I still think there's potential to hit that four or five, maybe even six million mark early in the morning had the U.S. women's national team made it to the final. Uh, obviously, it's something we'll never know, but I don't think this means much for the momentum of the sport in this country. Um, you know, I think it's clear that women's sports are still trending up. Uh, you, I don't think you can make any grand proclamations based on viewership this year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, the, the circumstances are pretty anomalous. So obviously, whoever gets the rights going forward starting in 2027 hopes this year was anomalous. And a lot of that will be determined by FIFA, because obviously, if you give Australia and New Zealand another Women's World Cup, the ratings won't be good because the time slots are so bad. But if it goes to France or a country like France or a country like certainly Canada, uh, you know, if it's back in North America, then you'll see strong numbers again. Uh, the Women's World Cup ultimately is an event that is determined a lot by that location. The only time when it did a number that was surprising given the location was 2003 when it was moved to the U.S. at the last minute and aired during football season. So realistically, a lot of that a lot of the rating success will be determined by who gets to host. Everybody thought Qatar was going to be the big disaster for the Men's World Cup, but the time slots were not that bad. Well, Australia and New Zealand, the time slots are pretty bad. And uh, it's it's not a surprise. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing I would say is there, there's certainly going to be some work to do um, for the U.S. Women's National Team to kind of build up some of the brands of the players that will be playing in 2027. Um, just kind of given how things 
uh, shook out this this time around. Uh, we didn't really get to know some of those younger players as well as we could have. And, you know, by 2027, uh, the, the best known names on that roster um, will all be gone. So yeah. we're going to have to see the Rose Lavelles and the um, Sophie Smiths kind of step up and raise their profile uh, a little bit between now and then if we want to get that same type of punch uh, from the 2027 roster that we could have uh, this time around. Well, it'll need to be more than just Nike ads, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, that nice to beat you ad with Sophia Smith. I haven't seen an ad age that badly since the days of Dan and Dave. Uh, that was ridiculous. Because the ad, I don't know if you saw it, the nice to beat you, the no. Sophia Smith, where they're portraying this foreign player I don't know what country she would have been from as being terrified of the specter of Sophia Smith. Everywhere she goes, here's Sophia Smith, like a horror movie villain. And oh my goodness, this poor Dane or Swede or whatever is, is just terrified of the mighty USA. And of course, in reality, no, they weren't scared of us at all. They sent us off in tears. That's what they did. They made us cry. We didn't do anything to them. So, uh, you know, definitely... It'll need to actually be stuff on the field, not Nike's particular brand of whatever it is they do now, but actual stuff on the field. And there's no reason to believe that that won't happen, right? I mean, it's not like the, one of the things that I think is really important to point out, and I, I will admit that I was a little bit mis, you know, misinformed on this myself, the U.S. really doesn't win this every time. We just pay attention to it when the U.S. wins and ignore it when they don't. So we don't even pay attention to the fact that the U.S. has not won the Women's World Cup four out of the last six times. And in fact, three out of those times, they didn't make it to the final. Uh, you know, I don't really know what happened between 1999 and 2011 when they didn't make the final at all. Uh, I know that there was a lot of controversy with their their goalie, whose name I genuinely can't remember. Hope Solo. Yeah, there you go. Uh, there was a lot of controversy with Hope Solo. Uh I don't even know who else was on that team. Abby Wambach. It's kind of weird that they had that incredible accomplishment in 1999 and then fell right off the face of the earth for more than a decade. I, I don't really know what happened there, but uh, you know, this isn't UConn. They had two really good years. Well, three really, even though they lost to Japan, they had three really good years. They had a really great run, but this is not Brianna Stewart, UConn. And the rest of the world isn't a bunch of, you know, Frady cats as portrayed in that Nike ad. Yeah. All right, John, just to put a bow on this topic, uh, obviously the rights situation for the next World Cup is uncertain going into 2027. Um, Fox is the incumbent. We know that they have a pretty cozy relationship with FIFA. Do you see other um, bidders kind of getting into the action here? Or do you think this is a property that will stick with Fox uh, next time around? Well, that's a really good question. I think Fox wants the men's tournament. I don't think the women's tournament is a good fit for Fox because, you know, I'm pretty sure Murdoch hates the women's national team. Uh, certainly a lot of the people he employs hates the women's national team. And I know Fox News and Fox Sports are, are different entities. And I don't believe that Rob Stone and, you know, Jesse Waters are doing the same work, right? Fox is a big company with a lot of different people doing a lot of different stuff. But it's not a good fit. If you're the U.S. Soccer Federation, why in the world would you want your biggest matches airing on a network that constantly is riling people up against your players? But, of course, Fox wants the Men's World Cup. But you can't get the Men's World Cup without getting the Women's World Cup. 
Well, do, do you see a world where um, the, this is a separate package next time around? I mean, no. 2026 is kind of an anomaly, right? Where uh, Fox had the, you know, had the rights to 2022, um, but it was moved to the winter window. So they, they were given a no bid contract by FIFA for 2026. But down the line, you know, if we brought this to open market or FIFA brought this to open market, uh, these could hypothetically be separate packages. Is there a reason they won't do that? Yeah, because they just did. I mean, they just got all of that equal pay stuff done. Well, you're not going to get equal pay for the men's and women's tournaments. You're just not, right? Uh, the women's tournament, as we have seen, the men's tournament can still get you 15 million viewers without the U.S. in the final. The women's tournament, I'm not going to say that 1.6 million is a true measure of what that is, because the 6 a.m. start time played a big role, but realistically, the viewership is not the same. The viewership isn't even the same for the U.S. matches. It's just that since the U.S. men never get passed around to 16, we can never actually tell. But certainly with the equal play situation, you, you have to pair them together. There's, you, you, I don't think that they can afford to split them after, after that. All right, John, let's talk contenders then. Um, if it's not going to be Fox, who are the most likely bidders here for for the next World Cup rights? I think a lot of people would think ESPN, but I'm going to say NBC. You know, they have those rights for Peacock, the Spanish language rights. Why would you, you know, why not go for the English language rights too if you're NBC? Uh, so ESPN might not even have the money to do this. Realistically, I mean, you know, they're going to have to spend a lot of money if they want to keep the NBA and they want to keep the NBA the way they want to keep the NBA. This might not be the best opportunity for them financially. I I think if ESPN wants something, they can go and get it. Um, and ESPN was just so widely commended for their World Cup coverage in 2010 and 2014. Um, that was know, 14 they, ESPNs ago. That was sure. the ESPN of Bob Lee and Mike Tirico. They are not walking through that door anytime soon. That that's true, but you know, I think it's a a property that really fits with their ethos. Um, ESPN has kind of been lacking in their big events recently, right? I mean, they they have the college football playoff and national championship. They have you know the U.S. Open. They have. You know, I don't know, what what are the other NBA finals? Yeah, the NBA playoff. finals. But you know, they're gonna lose some of the playoff. They're not gonna be able to keep all the playoff. Yeah. They're probably gonna lose at least some of the NBA finals where it alternates because the NBA would be insane to let ESPN have all of the NBA finals in this next deal. So they are gonna be losing out and hey, getting the World Cup would be a great way to make up and for it. Yeah, to, let's be fair. They, they they will have a Super Bowl coming up, right? So That's true. Um, they, they're not going to be lacking for big crown jewel events for too long. But just generally speaking, ESPN but it's not a is not. The Super Bowl isn't a differentiator. Everybody's got a Super Bowl. That's kind of one of the odd things. It's the big thing, but everyone's got one. Yeah, that, that's a good point. So I would I would be shocked if ESPN didn't kick the tires on World Cup rights. Um, certainly, there will be other interests, and and I think Fox, um, as the incumbent, definitely wants to keep this. Um, they want to keep the men's, and if that means airing the women's as well, then they'll do that. I don't think they have any particular commitment to the women's World Cup. 
let's you know give them some credit here they they sent a huge crew over there to australia knowing games are going to be aired at 4 a.m 6 a.m built a giant studio in sydney you know hired carly lloyd you know sent sent some of their best people over it's not like they spared any expense for this they sh- clearly showed a commitment to to broadcasting this event that's very fair but i'm talking more along the lines of your murdochs right I don't, I mean, and Murdoch owns Fox in a way that no individual person owns any of the other outlets, right? And I mean, I don't think he has any interest in, I mean, just, just based on the way he lets his people, and they are all his people, the way he lets his people talk down those players, I don't think he's got any interest in that in in that event. Okay, John, some other sports media news here. Uh, last week, we talked briefly about the NBA in-season tournament, NBA has now released their full schedule. Why don't you give us the highlights here from the NBA schedule release? Well, uh, you know, not what I was hoping for because the writer's strike would seemingly have opened up any number of opportunities for more games on ABC, more games over the year early in the season. No, not at all. No random Wednesday night game here or there, nothing in the opening week. And actually, fewer games on Christmas this year for ABC than in any year since 2016. So a step back there, uh, the NBA still doesn't have an over-the-year partner. And uh, getting an over-the-year partner in this era is really important. And not because over-the-year is what it used to be. Because over-the-year is also declining, right? Most people get their over-the-year signal through cable. If they cut the cord, they're not going to do what I did and hire someone for 400 bucks to come and install an antenna on their roof, right? It's, you know, only somebody who really, you know, is having to do this for a living would do that, right? Most people are getting that little black sticker tape to put on their wall that makes the uh, feed cut out every five minutes, and they're not going to settle for that. So when people are cutting the cord, they're cutting ABC and NBC and CBS and Fox too. So it's not that over the year gives you access to all of the TV homes. But it does give you access to more homes than cable does. And you can still get a bigger audience on over the air than you can on cable. And so the NBA not having a real over the year partner is is still a big problem, even with the declines uh, in, in, in linear TV viewing and linear TV subscriptions. You know, uh, it, it's still a problem that you have so few games on ABC. Sacramento took the Golden State Warriors to a game seven in the first round. The most watched first round game since 1999, and they didn't get on ABC this year. To me, that just tells you you have a very limited uh, over-the-year partner that isn't really interested in growing the game because, of course, it's ESPN. ESPN is interested in growing ESPN. And if if ESPN had their druthers, not a single game would air on ABC. Not a single game of anything would air on ABC. They'd have it all. Uh, And so that's why you need to uh, do something different in the next negotiations. The headline for me out of this schedule release was Christmas Day. And, and as you mentioned, you know, ABC will only have two Christmas Day games. I, I think that shows just kind of how the NFL has, you know, established its dominance uh, as as kind of America's choice property here, America's choice sport, even if it is on Christmas Day. Uh, something traditionally the NBA owned, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure in, in previous years, correct me if I'm wrong, ESPN really only had that noon game and that late night game, right? Well, 
uh, when they started on the when they started with the five game schedule back in 2008, you'd have the noon game on cable, 2:30 and five on ABC, and then prime time on cable. So this year is actually in line with what had been the norm. But in 2017, when the NFL uh, was on ESPN on Monday Night Football, that was the first year ABC carried three games, 235 and eight, and they had carried three games in those windows ever since last year carrying all five. So this year is a step back. Uh, and uh, I don't really, I mean, I don't get it. That noon window did pretty well on ABC last year combined with ABC and ESPN. You're going to have a big decline this year for that window. One, it's Bucks Knicks, and the Bucks are coming off losing in the first round in five games, and they're the Bucks too. Uh, you know, there's no real intrigue to that matchup, uh, and it'll be only ESPN. I mean, that alone is going to be enough to sink those ratings. When you factor in, you're going from five games on ESPN and ABC last year to just two on ESPN and ABC, with the other three being exclusive to cable. That's going to be down double digits. It'll be ugly. Yeah. Um. One more thing on the NBA schedule, and I don't know if you have this handy, but uh, if you do, what what's the Spurs expo- national exposure looking like uh, for this season? Obviously, they're kind of the big ratings question mark. How is Victor Wembanyama going to draw with an American audience? Uh, is there going to be a lot of intrigue there? Um, so why don't you give us a rundown of what the Spurs national schedule is looking like? Well, I can't tell you a set number of games off the top of my head. I can tell you no ABC games, so that's different than Zion. Zion in year one got some ABC games. LeBron in year one got one ABC game. Uh, and surprisingly, the first game, Wambanyama versus LeBron, is not on uh, one of the big networks. It's on NBA TV. It's on a Wednesday night, an ESPN night, but uh, NBA TV has the first LeBron Wambanyama game. ESPN as the next one because they're playing back-to-back games so that Friday. But that surprised me. Uh, I was surprised that there weren't any Pelican Spurs. Maybe Zion's healthy. And I, I think Zion versus Wembenyama, the two big superstar wonderkins of recent years. Um, I'm surprised Spurs Blazers isn't on national TV a lot. The first two games that they play uh, are on NBA TV uh, or actually NBA League Pass. So the league did not put together some of the marquee games that I thought that they would. I was a bit surprised by the lack of, of, you know, star-studded Wembenyama versus X or Y games. Uh, That's certainly surprising that they didn't lean into that uh, more. John, another sports media story here. Um, Last night, the debut of the new ESPN Monday Night Countdown team, Scott Van Pelt, as expected, replacing Susie Colbert in the host chair, uh, Ryan Clark, Adam Schefter, also rounded out the the studio panel. Um, I got to watch a little bit of it last night. It seemed pretty natural. I think they went to a bigger studio. Um, you know, the last mo- Monday Night Countdown studio just felt like it was in a closet, so I'm glad they did that. But um, this just seems like a natural fit for Van Pelt. Uh, he already was the de facto post-game show for Monday Night Football. So you might as well kind of keep that continuity, have him in the pregame, uh, the consummate professional. Uh, did you watch any last night? And, and what did you think of, of Van Pelt? 
Well, I uh, I did not watch any last night. I have to commit. I, excuse me. I have to admit, I don't have cable right now. Uh, I'm I'm jumping in just for the big events, and uh, August has very few of them. So, uh, you know, I've been spending most of my time watching the Threes Company channel on Pluto TV, catching up with Jack, Chrissy, and Janet. Not catching up with Terry. Those episodes are boring. But I digress. Um, so no, I didn't catch it. Uh, I will say that uh, Scott Van Pelt is a great pick, obviously. You know, Scott Van Pelt is a kind of talent that ESPN doesn't cultivate anymore. Uh, and uh, they're going to be hard-pressed to ever find another person like him the way they're running things down there. Uh, and to me, you know, hey, what he did the night that COVID hit was as good a job handling breaking news the night that COVID hit and the night that DeMar Hamlin collapsed. Uh, and Ryan Clark obviously uh, had a bit of a star turn that night as well. Uh, that's as good a job as anyone's ever done at ESPN. That's up there in that Bob Lee category, right? You know, Scott Van Pelt makes a lot of jokes. He references Aqua Teen Hunger Force. And so he doesn't really have a lot of gravitas. But if you really think about it, he's the Bob Lee of ESPN. He's the guy you go to. Uh, and they don't use Jeremy Schapp. He's still there, but they don't use him. Bob Lee's retired. It's Scott Van Pelt. If there's news, if there's something that's happening in the industry or in the world, and you need somebody who can get you from point A to point B in, I, I think I think after the DeMar Hamlin thing, I compared him to Peter Jennings. And I think that's a good comparison. I mean, granted, I'm the one that came up with the comparison. So of course, I think it's a good one. But you know, the way of handling breaking news in a way that is down to earth, conversational, but still authoritative. Uh, and he has that skill. So Monday Night Countdown, he'll do a great job on there. Susie Calber still got a really, really raw deal, as uh, so many ESPNers often do. But they've got, a, they've got a deep enough bench that they can, you know, end the careers of any number of highly talented people and still come out the other side looking good because they can just promote somebody from within. So that's what they've done here. I'm still probably not going to watch Monday Night Countdown very much, but if I do, I'll probably be watching a very well put together show with a quality host. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and we've kind of talked about before, you know, Monday Night Countdown is not really a, a show that's a, a natural fit for people to watch anyway. Um, you know, just given the time of day and the day of the week it airs, right? So, um, but Scott Van Pelt will will certainly do a great job. That that is not to discount the the work that Susie Colbert did uh, in the slightest. Uh, but this is a new era for for Monday Night Countdown um, in the ever revolving door of ESPN studio shows. All right, and one final sports media story here to close out the podcast. Um, we talked towards the end of uh, last last football season about the Michael Irvin story. Really strange how he was taken off NFL Network. Not really a clear explanation given. Pretty mysterious all around. Well, today it was announced that Irvin would begin appearing as a part of a rotating panel of guests for Fox Sports 1's morning debate show with Skip Bayless, uh, Undisputed. Uh, he'll be part of that rotating panel with Richard Sherman and possibly Keyshawn Johnson. 
This this is kind of Fox Sports One's answer to the departure of Shannon Sharp. What's your take on the whole Michael Irvin scenario? And and um, maybe if you can kind of clear this up, put this in perspective for us. Well, you know, Michael Irvin still has been still has not been back on NFL Network since that incident at the hotel. He has vehemently maintained his innocence, but obviously NFL Network must not believe him. I don't know what's going on there. Um, you know, maybe they're letting the process play out. Technically, he has not missed a lot of time because he missed the Super Bowl and the draft. But, you know, the main thing people come to Michael Irvin for is a regular week in and week out. Maybe they'll bring him back for that. I don't know. But um, it's an odd one, you know, because he's at FS1. So whatever he did wasn't enough for Fox Sports to say, we can't have this man on our air. Um, does Fox Sports have a lower standard than the other outlets? I mean, maybe they brought me, they brought in Pete Rose when nobody else would. They brought in Alex Rodriguez when nobody else would. Uh, maybe that's in keeping with that, but um, it's, it's difficult to put in, into any context because we just don't know enough. I will say, and I can't confirm this uh, off the top of my head, but I did see where apparently Irvin is still being featured in promotional materials for NFL Network. So it seems that there's still um, a relationship there and maybe there's an expectation that he will begin appearing on the, their you know morning Sunday morning pregame shows once again um, once the NFL season kicks up this kind of reminds me a bit of how Fox has handled the Urban Meyer situation with with big noon kickoff right just yeah. be very quiet about it but acknowledge you know this guy's a TV draw he's talented he can grant good perspective on the sports side but he may have a lot of baggage off of the off the field per se to to use a bad sports analogy well yeah i think that's an interesting comparison with urban meyer you know maybe nfl network is just gonna sneak michael Irvin back in but i don't know because i feel like a lot of the outrage in this situation is from urban's camp i don't know that there'll be a big outcry of oh you can't have this guy on the air not a lot of us even really know what he did. So, uh, you know, with Urban Meyer, everybody knew what he was doing, uh, you know, and uh, so I don't know. But beyond anything else, the reality is, you know, Michael Irvin, you knew who this guy was to begin with. I mean, and that's not me saying I believe he did what he's accused of doing. I have no idea what went on there, but it's a little bit, you know, disingenuous to me of NFL Network to be like, he can't be on our ear anymore. This is a guy who, what did he do with scissors and a teammate's neck? I'm not saying that Michael Irvin is the same guy he was then, but the reality is that they benefit from Michael Irvin's image. And Michael Irvin's image is not disconnected from Michael Irvin's past. That, you know, kind of wild and crazy aspect, it is part of the experience. An interesting one to monitor, um, and, and we'll certainly be keeping an eye on that um, as football season ramps up. All right. Well, we have some actual football coming up this week, not preseason. Uh, this will be week zero college football. I'd expect some pretty good numbers for Navy Notre Dame. Uh, NBC has that game, 230. No real competition, just an FCS game on ESPN. That game could do pretty well. And then in prime time, I'll be very intrigued to see what the Jackson State, South Carolina State 
uh, MEAC SWAC Challenge gets. That's in the ABC Saturday night football window. And there's only two other games on Nielsen-rated television during that slot. UMass New Mexico State on ESPN and Ohio San Diego State on FS1. So that game could do pretty well as well. And then, of course, a week from Thursday, the football season, college football really gets underway. Things will start picking up as we move into the fall, but we do have one more very slow week ahead, even with week zero. So, uh, yeah, you use it to uh, go out and enjoy the nice, cool temperatures throughout the U.S. this week. Uh, really comfortable weather all over the country. Uh, that's sarcasm. But maybe it's comfortable where you are, Drew, because you didn't, you didn't seem to pick up on it. I'm I'm just so beaten down by the humidity here in, in Washington, D.C. So uh, I, I can't wait for the fall. Yeah, you know, fall, nice fall weather, crisp, you know, no excessive heat warnings. Uh, it's not too bad. So uh, we'll be back sometime soon, maybe next week, maybe not. Who knows? But we'll be back at some point with more sports media news. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe and thanks for listening.